Hello and welcome to A Life of Gusto. I'm your host, Augusto Andres. On this episode, my guest is Alexandra Hunt. She's a counselor at Tamalpais High School in Mill Valley, California. Earlier this year, she was a recipient of the Golden Bell Award, which recognizes outstanding faculty in Marin County. Tune in for a discussion about how friends and family helped her pivot towards a career in counseling and what it's like to work with teenagers, helping them navigate the complex, sometimes messy world of high school. If you like what you hear, hit the subscribe button. Thanks for listening. Just a quick note before the show starts, for people outside of education who might not know, teachers often refer to students, even though we know they are teenagers and young adults, we often use the term kids or we talk about our kids as a term of endearment and affection. Alex Hunt, welcome to the show. Well, hi, thanks for having me. I think I just want to jump in and you know, the, the, one of the things I wanted to talk about in this podcast is to explore the journeys that people have taken. So in thinking about your own journey to be a high school counselor, where did that start? Was it a dream? Was it something that you thought about for a long time? Or was it something that, that just kind of fell into your lap? Was it a conversation with somebody? You can start anywhere. So it wasn't a dream. It was never a dream. I didn't even really totally know what a high school counselor was or did when I was in high school. When I was in high school, I was all about math and choir and, you know, and I was in peer counseling, which is where this all started for sure. But even being in that class, it still hadn't dawned on me that this might be a possibility. Um, and so when I went to college, I was a math major. So wow. complete opposite. Got out of college, I went into accounting because that's where my jobs, you know, were during the summer and what have you. So that's what I knew how to do. It wasn't until, I don't know, maybe a year or so after college, I was the accounts receivable coordinator for Craigslist. Um, immediately following graduation, I moved to San Francisco and I worked for Craigslist and it was a 16 person company and it was awesome and I loved it. And I was essentially the money collector. Nice. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, and then 9-11 hit and the economy tanked, which was a huge, you know, I right. for a little 22 year old girl at the right. time, 21. Yeah. Then I went and I worked for Fair Isaac Company. Everybody knows their FICO score. And I did some like temp jobs for them. I was a secretary and I worked in the mail room. Um, and then I eventually landed a job as an accounts payable associate at Larkspur Hospitality, which is a hotel management company. And I started managing the accounts for 11 of their hotels. And it was still fun. Like I like the numbers aspect. I like order and that kind of thing. What I didn't like was being in a cubicle all day long. And I just couldn't picture myself doing this for the rest of my life. You know, it just was not going to fulfill me. So I guess I did the proverbial soul searching. I talked to my friends. I talked to my family about what sounded interesting, what I was good at. And one of my friends, actually my friend Jolene, she mentioned to me, she's like, Alex, you're really good at just shutting up and listening to somebody. <laughs> helping them figure things out. I was like, oh, really? And then my mom mentioned to me that I used to love working with high schoolers when I was in high school in peer counseling. And between my mom and Jolene, the idea of high school counseling came into effect. When I was in high school, I was in peer counseling, which was a class. 
um, my senior year. And, you know, we were trained on listening skills and confidentiality and counseling skills. And I would spend, I mean, I loved it. I spent hours, you know, sitting in cars with peers, just listening to them talk and, you know, kind of being there for them, if you will. And when I was in my early 20s, thinking about this, I kind of realized, you know, nobody takes teenagers seriously. Teenagers have major emotions and highs and lows and everybody kind of brushes them off as saying, you don't know what problems are, wait till you, you know, pay taxes. I kind of wanted to be that person who took them seriously. I knew I didn't want to be a therapist. Uh, I didn't want to specialize and kind of listen to the same problems all day long, which is ironic now considering that (laughs) everybody could say I do that. (laughs) But I really just wanted to focus on high school kids and everything that they go through, whether that be academic or personal, social, or what have you. So I looked into high school counseling, realized you have to have a master's degree to be a high school counselor, and I went back to grad school. Was it, um, I'm curious, was it something that happened gradually? Did you continue working for a while? Or did you say, this is it, I'm going to stop what I'm doing and, and jump right into this? Yeah, no, good question. I think the the thinking and the contemplating like what I was going to do with my life was a little bit more gradual, but still not that long. I'm kind of a person where if it sounds like the right decision, I'm going to mull it over for maybe a few weeks or a few months and then I'm going to act. And I was still young enough where like, that's the time to do it. So it wasn't totally a scary thing. Um, And I applied for grad school. And once I got the call that I got in, I quit my job. Wow. Yeah. So, um, scratch that. I quit when um, grad grad school was supposed to start. Like I continued working and up until grad school. How did friends and family react? This was really exciting for everybody, and I got a lot of support from family and friends. All my friends were, you know, it was kind of just like that aha moment of, of course you are, mm-hmm. great. It's kind of something that felt natural to them, given who you were in high school and the things that you were interested in. And the kind of supportive friend you were to other people. Exactly. Yeah. Lovely to have that kind of feeling and support, you know, like, okay, so thank you guys. This is where I'm supposed to go. Okay. Let's go do it. Nice. That's a gift. Not everybody has, has that uh, ability to listen and to help. Once you jumped into the, the job, what kind of expectations did you have about what it would look like? And did the, did those get met or was it completely different from what you thought it might be? Yes and no to both. You know, the good thing about my graduate program was that my classes were on the weekends, Friday nights and all day Saturdays. Um, so they expected you to intern and work during the week in the schools. So I was able to get two years of full hands-on experience um, in the counseling fields. I worked both at a middle school and a high school Um And I had a caseload of 300 students in the second year as a high school counseling intern, which was awesome and also crazy to think that they gave an intern 300 kids to watch over. (laughs) (laughs) So that's no no small amount of kids. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So the rose colored glasses came off pretty quickly, you know. I think at first when I went into grad school, I was like, this is going to be great. I'm just going to sit in an office and kids are going to talk to me about their problems all day long. And I'm just going to help them, you know, figure it out. 
which yes, I do that too. But what you kind of realize pretty quickly is all of the other things that go into it that they don't tell you about. They don't tell you about the politics of education. They don't tell you about the parents. Um, they don't tell you about everybody's kind of preconceived notions about what your job is and not really knowing what your role is. What are the, the biggest misconceptions that you think people have about high school counselors? Yeah, so a lot of people think I'm an academic counselor. Um, and so I'm just there to make sure kids, you know, get good grades and get into college. Um, other people think that I'm just in my office twiddling my thumbs and waiting for them to send down a crying kid. <laughs> No, <laughs> and it's always those extremes they never think about all the different things that a counselor does and I think I mean to a certain extent that's also because different districts and different schools have different types of counselors you know what I mean um, but the way it works at our school is counseling is kind of the filter that everything goes through I always say that it's a lot of perceived power and very little actual power hmm. um so I deal with parents and helping them navigate, you know, just raising their children, let alone their post high school plans. I deal with kids having problems with teachers and family members and friends um, struggling in school, but also the typical, you know, teen issues, you know, sex, rape, um, drugs, alcohol you know, bullying, you name it, we got it. <laughs> so on top of on top of all the other academic issues, you have yes. all, of, all of that. Yeah. So I mean, it's just, it's a combination of academic and personal social as well as, you know, college and career. And I kind of look at it as it's a very holistic approach, whatever that kid needs, I become to a certain extent, you know, mm -hmm. and some kids will need different things. Some kids might only need me to talk to them about what's going on in their classes or how to get to Harvard. And that's fine. And other kids might only need to talk to me about, you know, how they don't have a place to live and they're couch hopping and how do we get them some food? And then there's everything in between. Right. As a teacher, I see students, you know, over the years, um, you know, we see them for um, anywhere from 50 minutes to an hour, an hour and a half per class. Mm -hmm. Um, try and get to know them as much as possible. Sometimes we have time with them, you know, um, in between classes during tutorials after school. But even then we don't always get a chance to really know um, our students as much as we'd like to. That's different for counselors, right? You get to see a whole different side of students. You said not all of them, but um, a lot of them. And they share things with you that they probably wouldn't share with their teachers or maybe even their families, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, I definitely don't see my kids as much as teachers do, obviously. In fact, I rely heavily on my teachers to kind of give me a heads up when they notice differences in the kids on a day-to-day -day basis, for sure. And kids will sometimes build relationships with teachers, which is so great that they will give that teacher that nugget, you know, where they're like, something's not okay. And the only person they feel comfortable telling that to is their teacher. And then I can get a heads up from the teacher call a kid in and we can go from there or hopefully I've already built a relationship with that kid and they already feel comfortable coming down but either way staff in general we kind of rely on each other to make sure we take care of that kid so yeah I don't see them as much or regularly 
But at the same time, I try to get them to realize pretty quickly that I am that safe space. I don't, I don't get to tell anybody anything, you know, everything they tell me is confidential. I don't get to call mom and say, yo, your kid got drunk on Saturday. Mom doesn't get to know that. (laughs) You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And even if a teacher refers a student to me that they're concerned about, I can't get back to that teacher and say what's going on unless the student gives me permission. So it really is a, a very safe zone. So yeah, I do find things out about students for sure. But hopefully it's just all building towards like figuring, helping them figure out, number one, who they are, what they need, what they want, and how do we get those things. Right. Kind of just continue on this path of helping people understand, you know, your, your journey. How long have you been a counselor now? Well, this is starting year 17. Was there any point along the way where you thought, oh God, I can't believe I decided to do this. I got to shift gears again or obviously you've been doing it for a long time now um is it does it is it reward as rewarding as it was in the beginning does it continue to be is it more so what keeps you going in this in this field the kids are the best part they are the thing that keep you like this job is impossible with other people's expectations and the hours needed to do it well and what have you it's an impossible job and Yes, you should burn out pretty quickly in it if it's just a job. The kids are, I know it sounds so corny, but the kids are the thing that keep you going. You know what I mean? Um, And yeah, I think anybody would be crazy if they didn't have the thought of, oh my God, should I have done something else? Oh my God, should I do something else? Should I make a change? Can I keep going? Is this sustainable? (laughs) A lot of time the answer is no, it's not sustainable. And yes, (laughs) you should keep going. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, yeah. I love my kids so much and it's so fun to talk to them. And even when they're at their worst, they're just really like at the bottom of the barrel, you know, even that is not, it's not fun, but it's so good to be there making sure that they get help, you know what I mean? And that they learn how to even help themselves. And at the same time, it's so much fun when they walk in my office and they're just chilling. They're like, Miss Hunt, I just need to get out of history class for 15 minutes. <laughs> Great. Right. Sit down. Let's chat it up. You know what I mean? Like, it doesn't always have to be so serious by any means. But the kids are great. I have made some amazing friends throughout this process mm-hmm. you know, and this career. Like, some of my nearest and dearest are my colleagues. And I love them. But, yeah, no, it's the kids that make it worthwhile you know how powerful that is for for a young person to know that they've got somebody on their side and that they can go to you they know that you will be there for them and not everybody has that but i know not every school has maybe the resources to have counselors that can offer that kind of support but it's something that you've been able to to do for for students well it's definitely the goal and on a daily basis, sometimes I succeed and sometimes I fail. When you watch some of these kids graduate and you're like, oh, I wish I could have gotten to that kid more. And then there's others where I'm like, okay, I'm going to adopt you. So <laughs> you're in my life now. Right. <laughs> but yeah, it's definitely the goal. I want them all to feel like we have a real relationship and I am someone that they are, you know, 
bonded to in a way that's it's not about me it's about them that i'm that person who's there just for them and then picking on that i think about that too a lot i mean I, at the end of the, any given year you know a lot of times when i talk to people who aren't teachers they the first thing they talk about is oh you know how that must be really rewarding and it really is but at the end of the year almost always the first thing I think about are some of the students I didn't reach or I didn't help and things I could have done better. You mentioned that there's sometimes students that you, that you aren't able to, to help as much as you'd like. How do you take those experiences in and help kind of, you know, with your, with your own practice to become better um, and to improve the next year when you have the next group of students walk in your office? It's all about contact, you know, the more contact you can have individually with a kid, the better. The more they can get to know what your role is and how they can utilize you, the better. A lot of the times when I feel like I've failed to a certain extent, it's because a student didn't know they could come to me for that issue. I didn't work hard enough like challenging their preconceived notions of what they should be doing or what is like socially acceptable. If I have students who come in with major pressures whether it be from peers or from family or what have you, but they automatically think I have to go to Stanford, I have to become a doctor, you know, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to take five AP honors classes and, you know, an A minus is failing. And even just challenging that and really kind of trying to crack the egg of, is that what you want or is that what you're hearing? Why do you want that? You know what I mean? Is this really what it takes? Right where is this coming from this need is it a passion or is this more of a i want to be stable like figuring that out and if i don't spend enough time with a kid even challenging them on that regard then you know they're going to figure it out later they will they absolutely will but it might mm -hmm. be two years into med school and they've wasted a lot of money <laughs> and they are all of a sudden realizing yeah. oh my god i don't know who i am and <laughs> I need to change directions, which is fine, but it'd be so much better if they could figure that out earlier. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it comes down to contact. The more contact right. I can have and the more they realize that they can talk to me about anything, that it's not just in a box of academics or personal social or college and career. It's the holistic approach. The more, the better. Right. Shifting gears a little bit, you know, as somebody who invests a lot of time in their students and works in a sometimes high stress environment with other adults. <laughs> how, how does a high school counselor relax, let loose, have a good time, forget, the, forget their troubles? Alex. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I'm kidding, but maybe true. <laughs> how do I relax, kick back? You know, it's true. I do, I do love the occasional alcoholic beverage. I'm not going to lie. Um, but Who it's doesn't? not a matter of, you know, it's funny when I say all this, I don't drink alone, but I love to kind of be social outside of the work realm. Mm -hmm. So going to a restaurant or a bar and having a drink with a friend is great, but also sometimes that can sound exhausting too. Honestly, I come home and I crash. I just lay on the couch and zone out on TV a lot of the time. You know, I love to go kayaking or take walks and all that kind of stuff for sure. But if I'm going to be truly honest, lounging on a couch in front of a large screen TV 
and watching a movie is my ultimate. Well, I imagine, I mean, I think I, I have a little bit of this as well, but when you have the, I don't know if burden's the right word, but when you are privy to all the things that you know about your students, that's a lot to have on one person. Um, and it's hard to kind of turn that off. I mean, you're constantly concerned about kids, but you do have to turn it off, right? Sometimes you have to just have a drink or sit in front of the TV and, and veg or just watch your favorite or binge your favorite show. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, you have to become good at compartmentalizing in this job. You do, or else you will burn out. You will quit pretty early on if you continue to not only take it home, but like mull it over in your head constantly. And you can. So you have to learn how to compartmentalize. And then also, I mean, I would say I'm very much an extroverted introvert. And so I am on at work, you know, the entire time. So whether it's talking to one kid one-on-one or dealing with adults in meetings or giving classroom presentations, I'm just on. And so I'm exhausted when I get home and I need to not talk to anyone. (laughs) Alex is not in. I am not in. (laughs) With the sign on the door. It's kind of funny. Like I do have a lot of friends who, you know, they'll text me like, I haven't seen you in forever. I'm like, I know. (laughs) I love you and I miss you and I'm still okay with that (laughs) right right. yeah I mean you need you need to kind of protect yourself and give yourself the space that you need to um, to be you I think that's hard for a lot of people to understand sometimes who aren't in education that we have to kind of turn off the rest or shut out the rest of the world for a little bit to remind ourselves who we are totally completely so here's something that not a lot of people know about you, but you sang in high school and you are a big musical theater fan. I am a musical theater nerd for sure. Although <laughs> I don't profess to know everything by any means, but I do just love it so much. Can you talk a little bit about what is it that music does for you? How does it play a role in your, your life? And let's talk a little bit about why you love it so much. Oh my gosh, such a big question. I was that little girl that both her parents sang to her when she went to bed at night, you know, and then Mm -hmm. I was in Girl Scouts. So my mom, my mom was the leader and I learned all the Girl Scout songs and we sang them all the time. And then, you know, middle school came around and I joined choir and just fell in love with it. Not only the camaraderie and, you know, the community that it builds, which is gigantic and so welcoming and amazing, but it's just so much fun to sing and to dance and to be in it, you know? And sometimes I could like hear a song and be like, Oh, I don't like that song. But once you start singing it, you're (laughs) like, I love this song. It's the best (laughs) song ever. Right. You know? So there's something in the doing that is pretty magical. um, I would say. And so, yeah, I just became a choir, show choir, jazz choir guru. (laughs) What were some of your favorite um, songs or shows? Oh, my gosh. I love Once on This Island. I love Into the Woods. I mean, of course, I love Rent and Hamilton. But honestly, some of my first favorite musicals, well, West Side Story was, I think, yes, a huge one for me. Um, that was gigantic. You know, when you're little and you're introduced to like the music man and the sound of music and you're like, these are great. I love them. But West Side Story was when I was really like, oh, my God, this is this is a whole new world. And then 
Phantom of the Opera, when you sit in those seats and the music just like reverberates through your body, you know, it Mm -hmm. does something to you. Um, I mean, I could name a ton, Les Mis, I I (laughs) could name them all, but I don't know. They change your, they change your body. They change your outlook. They just make you want to like cry and smile all at the same time. Right. Now, do you still sing? Uh, In the shower. (laughs) <laughs> a lot in the car when no one's listening <laughs> but uh don't my, we all so. don't we all yes <laughs> i was never that girl who was really good at it i wasn't going to be given these huge solos i was that girl who loved it i love to be a part of it i can carry a tune so great i can you know be a part of but they always ask you that question if you could have another career in your life what would you do and i'd be like i'd be on mm. broadway <laughs> Balance, but I don't, so therefore I will just love it from afar. What is that uh, one song that you built when no one's looking? Oh, wow. I mean, there's so many, of course. I love Black Velvet by Alana Miles. Oh my God, it's so fun to sing. And that's you know, such a good song. Anything by Pink as well. In terms of musicals, I will always, right now, just because it's so fresh, you know, I will belt Hamilton in the shower pretty happily. Right. Okay. On a road trip, if you could only take three songs with you, you what would those be? Three songs? I don't know that I can actually answer that question. Um, You have to. It's my show, so you have to answer. Wow. Wow. (laughs) Bob Seger and John Mellencamp have special places in my heart. And they're good road trip songs. Yes. Bob Seger, John Mellencamp, and Huey Lewis are all like amazing road trip music. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have to just like rock out to them and sing them wind flowing in your hair. It's <laughs> for sure. We're kind of moving away from the whole musical theater I genre know, now. But I'm going to come back to it in that I do have a okay. tradition with um, my my friend Kelly. She and I, we used to take road trips down to Santa Barbara all the time in L.A. And we would just put on rent and sing it at full volume the entire way and we would switch off the parts so whatever you know person was singing i would take that and then she would take the next person and we would just go back and forth but rent is always a good in the car belting musical we have come to the end of the or near the end of the episode before I let you go, I do have a quick fire questionnaire. The idea is I'll ask you some questions and you um, just answer whatever comes to the top of your head. These have nothing to do with counseling or work. Um, they're just for fun. <laughs> I like fun. <laughs> okay. So, Alexandra, are you ready? I am ready. What's your favorite curse word? <laughs> It has to just be fuck. <laughs> Best word in the world. I love that word. And you can use it in so many different ways. You know, you can put an ING on it. You can change the intonation. <laughs> you know, it's just, it can be a noun. It can be an adjective. It can be a verb. It's great. It is, is amazing. Quite versatile. Yeah. Sweet or salty? Sweet. Cheese or dessert? Oh, you're killing me with that question. <laughs> Oh my God, those are my two favorite things in life. I know, I know. Cheese. Breakfast, lunch, or dinner? 
dinner. By the way, if you're stuck, you can choose both or all, whatever the options are. There's no rules here. Well, um, honestly, I would choose hors d'oeuvres over anything. Okay. Wine or cocktails? Again, killing me. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> yes, I, t- I tailored some of these just for you. So. Yeah. Wow. Cocktails. Wow. Okay. I know. Um, and that's, I love wine. I know you do. <laughs> oh, my God. I love wine. What is a food or snack that you could eat every day forever? Totino's. <laughs> I was not expecting that answer. Okay. I love it. You know, after the bougie answer of, I love wine, I would like to have some Totinos yes. every day. Oh my yes. God. The combo little pizza rolls. Love best. It. Okay. This is another one I know that you're not going to like, but um, uh, the pool, day at the beach, or day at the lake. Actually, I'm changing that last one to river. Oh, see, you know, <laughs> because with the first question, pool, lake, beach, yeah. I would do pool every day of the week. Right. Pool, lake, river. Oh, I'm going to have to go river. Oh, okay. Not surprised by that. Okay. Three things that you can't live without. And these can be material things or more bigger conceptual or qualities. Um, to three, but three things you can't live without. Oh my god, people actually answer this question. They do. Oh, no matter what I say, I'm gonna want to change my answer. <laughs> it's okay. Honestly, three I things you can't live without for now. Okay. Uh, family, <laughs> cheese, movies. Love it. Yes. And I'm sorry to all my friends out there because I. <laughs> yes, friends are fourth behind cheese and movies. Okay, exactly. that's that's the takeaway. <laughs> um, fill in the blank. When I'm not working, you'll find me. Ah, uh, when I'm not working, you'll find me on the couch watching a movie, probably eating raw pasta. <laughs> Not Totino's. I love Totino's for sure, but if I'm truly lazy, it's going to be something horrible like raw pasta. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> we'll come back to that one in a future episode. If I'm not at home, I'm up at maybe my parents' house in their pool and a cocktail in hand for sure. Spicy margarita. Nice. So uh, the last question is not a quick fire, but to end the show do you have a piece of advice words of wisdom for anybody listening out there about work about finding what you love to do or living your best life anything that comes to mind one of the hardest questions to answer is always the simplest question of what do you want because everything stems from there and people are always able to tell you what they don't want we're really good at vetoing things (laughs) we're really good at ruling things out and it's so funny when I ask them, like, what do you want? And they're like, well, I don't want to do this, and I don't want to do that, and I'm not good at this. And I'm like, okay, that's not answering the question at all. <laughs> what do you want? If you can answer that question, everything else actually falls into place. And it's a question that will, the answer will change throughout your life, obviously. No one's going to fully be able to answer that question ever. But if you keep on asking yourself that question and try to come up with an actual honest response, 
you really won't go wrong. That sounds like a great place to end. Thank you very much, Alexandre. Well, thank you. This was really fun. This was fun. Hopefully we can do it again. (laughs) That was Alexandre, counselor extraordinaire. She has a great laugh, doesn't she? You'll find Alex on Instagram at huntgirl79. That's H-U-N-T-G-R-L-7-9. The Life of Gusto Quickfire is inspired by and borrows questions from Bouillon de Culture by Bernard Pivot and Alice Thuillet's French podcast, Batat. A note to all my friends heading back to school, teachers, counselors, administrators, former students going back to, to campus. Whether you're in person or online, have fun, stay safe, we'll get through this. That's it for this episode. If you like what you hear, hit the subscribe button and come back soon for more conversation about finding your way and living a life of gusto. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye.